0: Coming to you live, live, and podcasting around the globe. You're listening to the Deal Farm Podcast, guaranteed to tickle your real estate-loving earholes. And now, here's your host, world-renowned TV heartthrob and investor extraordinaire, Ken Corsini. Welcome to the Best Deal Ever Show. I am here with one of my good buddies, Corey Boatwright. Corey, how you doing, man? What's up, Ken? How goes it?
1: Oh man, awesome. I have yeah. killer, killer Friday here in Oklahoma. TGIF, right? Oh my <laughs> gosh. I drop my so
0: I drop my kids off at school every morning, and every Friday I'm like, kids, what day is it? They all know. TGIF. <laughs> I love Friday. <laughs> awesome. It's hilarious. That's, that's hey, awesome. Yeah. So I keep hearing about all these earthquakes in Oklahoma, man. What's going yeah. on out
1: there? We are. I think it was in 2000. Don't call me as either 2013 or 14. We had the most earthquakes in the country in Oklahoma. So not only uh, do you want to move to Oklahoma for the great uh, weather, which we have tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then we have lightning storms, hail storms. There's only a few insurance companies that will even insure a lot of us here. Uh, but now we have earthquakes, uh, so that's something to add, add to the mix. <laughs> that's
0: crazy.
1: Yeah, it's all fracking, but no one can prove it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're making movies about it, but I guess there needs to be some science first. Right, and then when they stop it, magically earthquakes stop too, but we can't prove it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy, man. Hey, so what are you doing these days in Oklahoma? I know you're, you've been wholesaling a ton out there.
1: Yes, yes. What's the, what's so- the primary model right now? Well, I mean, wholesale, we'll still do over 100 deals this year. Nice. Um, so we did over 113 last year. So exciting. And we continue to to continue to continue do more deals, which is great. That's uh, Oklahoma's kind of a recession-proof state in a way. Hmm. Back in 2005 when the recession really started, but we, we started feeling it 2007, 2008, or most of the country did, uh, you know, we kept appreciating. So we kept appreciating between 2 and 3%. And we have relatively, we have, uh, I think in the top five, most affordable places in the country for living, we've been on the Forbes several times. So we're just kind of a recession proof, uh, area. Plus we're right in the middle
0: <laughs> of yeah. the
1: United States. So That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's like we have walls around us, but, um, you know, wholesaling has been great, but I've been in the last three or four years going on four years now, um, I've been really diving more into multifamily. I see. There's a great opportunity on multifamily real estate. It's it's not a secret. Uh, you're seeing more value add and reposition plays yep. uh, for, for multifamily. Plus, it's a really exciting uh, idea for tax strategies. Uh, most oh, yeah. folks don't realize that you don't get uh, you don't get taxed on proceeds from a refinance yep. on multifamily, which you know, when you're talking about, you know, if that's $500 or $10,000, that's not a big deal. But when you start talking $500,000, $2 million, it makes it be a much more significant deal. So the cool thing about multifamily is it's a team sport. So you can raise private capital and mm-hmm. get a piece of the uh, GP side. Uh, you can you can really start to do uh, some interesting things on how you're exiting um, the the asset you can do cost seg on tax strategy, so you can pull a lot of uh, money out of the first year uh, having the asset. Of course, you'll have to, you know, once that's uh, regained when you sell the asset. But there's all these there's all these different strategies that I sure. really like about multifamily, Ken, and, and it's it's exciting. You know, I got over 430 doors now. Haven't been doing it that long, and so wow. over 430 doors now on GP uh, side through syndications. Yep. Um So that's uh that's about twenty million dollars in real estate, so it's an, another way to be able to to really build your um, really build your assets and really build the properties that you have and you're working with your team in, in a big way so uh, And I also like marketing, so it's particularly interesting uh, for me to find off market uh, properties, so that's been a pursuit this year in multifamily. I mean, think about it, Ken, if you find a, a five or ten million dollar uh, hundred unit plus uh, apartment complex off market, right? That would, mm-hmm. you'd have to pay a broker usually, you know, two, maybe between one and 3% on that. So that could save two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand $300,000. Uh, just that by itself, right? Not to yeah. mention if you could structure direct to owner on owner financing options oh, yeah, and, and just a bunch of other things. So it's just a really cool, um, it's a really cool uh, asset class that I'm learning more and more about. Plus I love my partners. I know, like, and trust and Uh, I'd take a bullet for them, you know, Corey Peterson, Sean Mm -hmm. Terry. I'm I'm working with guys like Adam Adams and DJ out of Colorado and just building a really cool team of uh, folks that are talented and uh, know how to uh, locate assets, building an underwriting team that really knows how to to purchase the assets where we're working with investors that feel very comfortable on our experience level Mm -hmm. and also uh, the type of assets that we're, we're focusing on and, and targeting B and C class assets. Also affordable marketing. I mean, affordable housing. Yeah. You know, not, not getting into that $2,000, $3,000 a month, you know, um, four cap type stuff. We're, right. we're really looking at affordable housing markets. And, and that's mostly the South and Midwest. And it's, it's an exciting time. So that's great for kind of long-term wealth building, you know, legacy kind of thing where you can yep. will that stuff to, your, to the kids. But wholesaling has always uh, been a low-hanging fruit. I've, I like systems and processes, and how we have it set up. Um, we can do, you know, between uh, seven and ten deals a month, you know, pretty regularly, pretty consistent, yep. uh, without having a lot of uh, brain damage. And that has to do with a lot of systems and processes and good team that we put in place uh, for that. So. That's all, I, I think that's going to be there, uh, you know, uh, but it's, but long-term really looking at the multifamily asset yep. class and, and and what you can do there.
0: Well, wholesale, like you said, it sort of pays the bills, yeah. put some money in your bank account, but the multifamily is where you build your wealth, right? Your it long-term is.
1: wealth. It is. And I have, you know, I have some friends that my partners that, you know, have got into these uh, $5 million, $10 million apartment complexes at the right price and did the right things and had the right team in place. And then they've exited on those in three to five years and had, had done very, very well. And not only for the investors involved that usually are 12% or maybe higher, but it, it doesn't, I mean, really comes down to building a relationship with folks and uh, having uh, whether it's sophisticated or, or, or accredited investors, non-accredited investors, really building a relationship and finding out if, if people want to take their money out of the stock market, which can a lot of folks have their money in the stock market? Uh, believe it or not, we even have folks that were in Bitcoin uh, that, <laughs> that sold some assets, uh, sold some of their Bitcoin, and I mean, you have this opportunity, I believe, right now if you if you recognize it and and you and you can target it on these multifamily deals that if you get in the right price and you yeah. and you set it up correctly uh, in in three to five years, the way that those things can appreciate by simply raising $50, $100, in some cases $150 a door, making that NOI just just go go crazy. Or my gosh, if you do student housing projects, which what our mass our uh, property management company focuses on right now, you can explode uh, that NOI, which then, as you know, can explodes the value yeah. of yeah. the asset of the apartment. So you're in at $5, $6, 7000000 million, uh, but then you turn around three to five years, sell it for $15 million. Uh, which isn 't uncommon kind of those kind of things where, where you 're you know doubling or getting close to doubling on what you pay and what you sold it for uh, it 's it's, it's really pretty, uh, a pretty interesting way to build your, build your wealth and and structure it in a way that you can get these uh, all your investors paid and make a, a lot of money from the refinance proceeds if you keep it or if you just sell on the exit you can ten thirty one into another another asset
0: sure man, there 's so many options, but I think the key phrase you said there was. If you can buy right, That's right, right? That's it. It's all in the buy and making sure you evaluate it properly. You're not overestimating and you're conservative on your numbers. You can kill it, but you can also get yourself in a lot of trouble if you're not careful.
1: You can. And I highly recommend that you don't just jump into something being completely ignorant about it. Um, you you got to really take time to, to really understand um, the game you're playing, just like yeah. anything else. I mean, when some people, when I first did my first wholesale deal, I was, I was, I didn't know what to expect. How in the world was someone going to sell a property for 40 to 60 cents on the dollar when they could just call an agent and sell it for uh, close to 90, 100%. <laughs> right. It still well, blows my mind that we
0: buy houses like that, right? Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> so, How, why, why they do it, you know, yeah. but, but they have their reasons, Sure. right? And so until you get into that um, side of it, you don't understand what happens. Like one of our assets that we're dealing with right now, they just had a fire. We're going to close you know, in a few months and they had a big fire. Well, what do you do now? Now, now you have code and forth. Now, if a sprinkler system is going to be involved, that's over a hundred thousand dollars to bring up the. I mean, all these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you can't let it scare you. You just have to say, okay, what? How do I learn? How do I learn about this? Who do right. I know that has experienced something similar? Yeah. And then, um, and then, and then you, you know, you're going to fall down, but you can't let that stop you. My gosh, you're an entrepreneur, so you're gonna, you're gonna rhino through. Uh, whatever it is that uh, is thrown at you.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's real estate. You've got your good deals and you've got your bad deals. And the more deals you do, you're going to encounter both. You're going to have some home runs, some unicorns, and you're going to have some that just crush your spirits because they're so difficult to work with. But but the name of this show is Best Deal Ever. So <laughs> right. let's talk about your best deal. I'm curious. Was it a multifamily? Was it a wholesale? Was it a no. flip?
1: What's your no, best deal? No, man. Clients? Believe it or not. So, I was, uh, so the best deal I've ever done is, is crazy. Uh, so I got involved with real estate. I did my first deal. I was 21. I'm 43 now, uh, but I wasn't really a real estate investor. I was just kind of learning. And yeah. Um, but my best deal ever is actually a deal that had zero equity. Really. Zero equity. Okay. Yeah. All right. I want to hear this. And uh, back in the early 2000s, I want to say, and I, I want to say it's around 2008 or nine. Okay. Um, there was a house that came up and it was a deal that had no equity. In fact, it had three different mortgages on it. And of course this time, if you remember, uh, Kent was a big time for short sales banks and the recession was going on. banks were just hemorrhaging cash or what we think they're hemorrhaging cash They actually already made all their money, but they're hemorrhaging cash. And, uh, you know, and so they were willing to take a discount on debt. Well, in the priority of liens and judgments and mortgages. So the first mortgage takes priority, uh, unless some states mechanics liens will take priority or homeowner association fees. But at the end of the day, you have the first mortgage will take priority. And then anything underneath that just gets the scraps, gets whatever's left. Sure. And they just got to take it or they, you know, just going to go to foreclosure and then sold at the sheriff's sale and they won't get anything, right? That's right. Yep. So even if someone says, um, you know, I'm owed $100,000, but you're in a second position, it wasn't uncommon for that person to take five or $10,000 for their yep. position. Yep. Right? And so, and what could they do about it? Not a lot unless they chose to foreclose. Yep. Right? Unless they chose another strategy. So in this particular case, in actually in Oklahoma City, it was a very big house in a historical area. Okay. An interesting thing about historical areas is that you have some people that absolutely love historical areas. I mean they'll do anything to get that house. They've looked at it for years, they loved it right They drove by it um, and no matter if it's a you have a, you have a brand new house you built, you think it's better. They love that historical piece of it, right? They love, right. it's built in the 1910s or whatever. Like they, they love that aspect of it. Uh, and a lot of these houses were much bigger too. So they're grandiose. They, they have take up a big part of the street. So this was one of those houses, man. It was a huge, huge house. And uh, it just so happened that this thing came across our desk. I want to say it was a, from a referral, but I really don't remember the marketing where it came from. We had letters going out back then, but it was, I think it was from a referral. And so when we first met with this person, we obviously knew this probably didn't have any equity in it. But what was interesting about it is the property actually was run down. And I mean, it was really run down. Like I'm talking about, you see this kind of on the outside, and you ever seen this house, you're like, wow. Well, you know, can't like you see the bones on yeah. it. You're like, you see the potential of what the house could be. Yeah. But then when you actually step in the house, you see how dilapidated, how much that, I mean, imagine a uh, 80 year old home is over 80 years, right? Yeah. Over 80 year old home. What can happen if someone hasn't put any money into it? I'm talking about old faucets and I mean, a lot of the old original stuff, which can turn people off. Yeah. Or turn people on, like right? right. And this has to do with finding the right buyer. So I knew when I when I found this house that most people were going to think this is like, this this is probably a crap hole. Mm-hmm. But I knew the right kind of buyers that love this area.
0: Okay,
1: this was in an area it's called Heritage Hills, and if you're in Oklahoma City, you already know ah,
0: hmm.
1: that is a nice area, yep. right? that's an area where historical homes are and it's highly desirable now, but even then it was, you know, kind of desirable. So lo and behold, I ended up getting the owner to agree to do a a letter of authorization and they are of course going to lose this property. Uh, It was very close to the sheriff's sale. I want to say it was less than 60 days away for sheriff's sale. So we had to, to work pretty quickly.
0: Was there a mortgage on it? Or I guess there, I was going to show there
1: was, there was three different mortgages on it. Okay. So there was the first mortgage took up, I want to say about 80% of the deal. and so they must've done an 80, a uh, 90, 10 kind of deal. But then they also had a second mortgage that w- went way over what they uh, had the value of the property. And, and then they had a third mortgage, which I don't even know why someone put a third <laughs> mortgage on. Right. um, but I want to say it was from a private lender. Um, and I think it's just because they saw how big the house was and they probably needed some money and they're like, I'll just give you a, you know, a mortgage on my house. Yeah. And some unsophisticated, um, you know, schmuck just said, okay, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it or whatever. So lo and behold, uh, I had to negotiate three different mortgages and I remember that the first mortgage uh, ended up taking just under, it was just under um, when we got this. So what happens on a short sale is you have a BPO, a broker price opinion that happens. And that's from an agent that comes out to the property and they're hired by the mortgage company that will look at the property and give them an opinion of the value. Well, this property had like, oh, it was. it's already an old property. So the roof was just, I mean, it was just like a crinkled up roof it had, it had all kinds of messed up places on the roof that had holes on the side of the roof. And it was just really looked bad, right? It, It's kind of like a, as a wholesaler, when you walk into a house and you see cockroaches and you see yeah. crazy stuff, like to one person, they get scared. The other person, it's like, they see money. I smell money, man. That's I smell money. Smell. Those little dollars, those are little yeah. dollar signs running around That's there. Right. cockroaches. So, <laughs> so, this is what happened. So I knew when the broker was gonna come there and the property was big. So they had to walk in uh, the property and there was areas where, where they're downstairs in the basement was like all oh, smelled moldy and horrible. In fact, I don't know, I think the, the rule of thumb back then was they didn't open their basement so they just kept it all musky and, and stuff down in there. And I, I remember it had like, uh, like standing water that was in the basement too that they just left for years, like oh my years of just standing water. Wait, were they living uh, in the house? Somebody was yes, living, the house. living in the house? Yes, they were living in the house, yeah. That's crazy. Uh, and it was sad too. They had, they had a lot of kids uh. in the house too, I remember too. And, uh, but, but, you know, and then there was an upstairs and then another upstairs. So it was like a three-story house. And it was just, it was this huge, just beautiful, uh, uh, big, big potential, big, beautiful house, but it had a lot of challenges in it. And so I remember I I just had the right broker price, uh, opinion, had the right agent and I was walking them through. And as we got down to the basement and I opened up the door, I remember that he was just like, Oh, like he, like the feeling that he got that this house just needed so much work was yeah. instantly uh, ratified at that point, yeah. right? And so, I knew that I thought we we're going to get a pretty big discount. So, back then, um, depending on what kind of loan that you had on the property, Ken, you knew that there are some formulas that the lender would go by. Yep. So, if the property was worth, let's say, a half a million dollars uh, and the broker price opinion came in at, let's say, 80% of that number, then you know, right, that the, that, that, what the value is going to be is around $400,000. Then you knew that a lender without having to go and request another um, kind of level of of requirement to get approval, they would take 10% off. Uh, But if you wanted to go under that, you'd have to get another level approval. Well, I did something that was really, um, uh, really interesting. So I found out who um, that the lender used. To get an appraisal on the property. And then I hired that person myself. Sneaky. And so what I did is I found out essentially, Ken, um, the price. I found out what they, because they didn't want to go back out to the house when they were just there a week before. Yeah. They already had the, the appraisal. Yep. So basically, they just gave me what they gave the lender. <laughs>
0: And this Um, is a, technically it wasn't an appraiser, right? It was a, was it an agent doing a broker? broker. Yeah. yeah, So you hired them and basically got the inside scoop.
1: I got the inside scoop, man. And I realized that, uh, they took a big chunk of money off this property. And I knew at that point, whenever they gave me what the broker price opinion was. So I believe the property was around, um, uh, I thought the property would appraise for around $550,000. And so I know that doesn't sound like a, <laughs> a nice property for some, but that was a, actually a really nice property sure. uh, in this area. Sure. And uh, I knew that the broker price opinion came in, I want to say it was roughly around like uh, 350000 so the loan on it was
0: or you think that first position loan was in the five fifty some, somewhere in there? I
1: remember that the first wow. loan was at least in the four, four, like in the four hundreds. Okay. It's been a while since I've yeah. I've, but it's in the four hundreds. And then they had that second loan that was at least a hundred. And then that third one was, I think it was between like twenty and thirty, something like gotcha. that. Gotcha. Yep. And so, once I knew that the broker price opinion came at 350 I already knew right off the bat that they would take another 10% off that. Yep. Right? So, um, lo and behold, man, I actually uh, got a lot more than that off the property. Um, what I did was we put in an offer on the property for 200 I want to say it was 200 and... We put in an offer for $220,000 and we ended up having the, um, short sale approved at $250,000. $250,000. And
0: technically uh, it's approved by the first position loan, right?
1: Yes, that's right. First position loan. We ended up having the second, um, mortgage because we got them on the phone back then. You could actually, So there's a lot of things that did back then, but you could actually do a three-way call with the second mortgage and the first mortgage on. So it's like, I want to pay you more money, second mortgage, but the first is not letting me, because the first wants to get all of it, right? Sure, yeah. So the first wouldn't allow more than 10% to be paid on that 100K. So we ended up getting $10,000 for the second, and then we ended up paying $1,000 for the third. So we were, so we were all in at like $261,000. Wow. I happened to know a guy that did a lot of uh, historic uh, repairs and he had a buyer that he absolutely said that's been looking at this house for years and they wanted it. And he even told me that dude, they will pay premium price. They will pay like whatever that thing, you, you know, what you think you think we're praised for. So we ended up selling the property for a $150,000 profit. Oh we ended gosh. up selling the property for, it was right around, um, let's see here. I think it was like 400, I want to say it was a $430,000. It was like $430,000. And when it was all said and done, after paying um, all the fees, and we had to pay one side on the agent, we didn't have to, they didn't have an agent, they were paying cash. Um, then we had an agent that lists the property back then. You actually, you actually could list it, uh, when you got the approval. Now that's changed, (laughs) but we got an approval so we could list it. And, um, we ended up selling the property for $430,000 and we made over $150,000 profit on a property that had no equity, had three mortgages, right? Um, in a historic area. Now here's the little dun, dun, dun twist. Yeah. People that bought the house went to the neighborhood, um, in the city and they actually got 25% historical credits. Oh, wow. That they ended up getting. So when they were fixing up the house, they had to fix it up to a standard yeah. of that neighborhood and they got back a 25% credit. So for every dollar, right? That they're putting back. They got a 25 cent back. So it was, it worked out really great for them too. And was that like the form of a tax credit? Yeah. 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 Tax credit. Yep.
0: That's amazing. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Isn't that crazy, man? That's insane. That's, that was the best deal I've ever did over $150,000. lo and behold on a short sale.
0: Yeah. And, um, now, did you buy it? Because back in the day, short, you couldn't really wholesale short sales because you had to hold them for 30
1: days, right? Yeah. So back then, you you didn't have that. You didn't have that red letter. So I, I didn't have gotcha. to hold it for the 60 days things that most of them have now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a, I want, I want to say the lend it wasn't like a Wells Fargo or another big lender. It was like, it wasn't countrywide. It was like another another bank, private bank. I think it was called 53rd Bank. I think that's okay. what it was, 53rd Bank. And, um, which I think they're out of business now or they, or they, I don't know, I, I believe it was 53rd bank Okay. and, uh, we didn't have any kind of, uh, provisions where we had to hold it yep. for, and plus the, the buyers are paying cash on the other side too. So they didn't have to have a loan. So did you double close it then? Just same we day? We did double close and inside in Oklahoma, we're actually known as a dry state, not a wet state. So yep. for closing, so we can use the, the cash. If yep. someone comes in, in this case, the $430,000 that they brought to actually purchase on our A to B side.
0: Yep. Yep. So no need for transactional funding. No need Basically. for transactional funding. <laughs> Borrow from the B to C to pay the A to B. You got it, man. That's a beautiful thing. It was Dang. beautiful.
1: It was a pretty incredible deal, man. And it really did change. It changed a lot of things for me. Cause you got to imagine, I mean, up to that point, you might've made five, six, eight thousand $8,000 on deals. And so this was this a was home run, and it had no equity uh, when we started.
0: That's so so that's, that's a big takeaway right there is you don't see short sales as much anymore, but I, I have a feeling we're going to start seeing more of them. But just because it doesn't look like there's equity does not mean that there's not an opportunity to have a deal.
1: Always ask other questions. That's right. Always ask other questions like, um, in that case on the short sale, I knew because it had three mortgages on it that I actually could get a bigger discount. Yeah, I know that sounds strange, right. but no, you're the right. more people that have owed against the property, you don't know how much of that equity that they're taking up. And if they're in a second position, I mean, imagine if they were in a second position, but maybe they only did a 70-30 instead of a 90-10. Like, that would have been I mean, you just never know how much that you could create equity out of thin air by discounting that second mortgage because they're in a vulnerable position, right? right. They're either going to fork, they're not going to foreclose. They're just going to take what you can give them. Now, sometimes, and this was a lot, I mean, I did a lot of short sales. So sometimes it was a lot harder to that second to, to take 10 cents on the dollar, right? Sometimes they only take 50 cents on the dollar um, because they, they, they knew that hey, whether you're we're, this is all we're going to accept. So you have to get them to agree, or you know you're not going to have a deal, and then you're going to foreclose, and they're just going to they're going to roll the dice and see what they get. But most yeah. of the time, if you can work with them, I think 50 percent was the most I've ever paid on a second mortgage. So think about that. That's a 50. If you have a hundred thousand dollar second, that's fifty thousand dollars that you created in, in thin air essentially yeah. by just asking. Yeah. Like just asking, by asking how many mortgages they have on the property.
0: <laughs> well, and that, you know, that that's a good cautionary tale for any of you private lenders that are being asked to go into second lien position, right? You are not in a good position. If things go south, you are very vulnerable. And you don't, I mean, there's potential to they get foreclosed on, you lose it all. So of course, you're going to come to the table and play ball and figure something out. Half of, you know, something's better than all or nothing.
1: It's so true. So
0: that's amazing. What a killer deal. Okay, so what advice would you give somebody? Somebody just listened to this deal. They're like, that's amazing. He created equity out of thin air. What advice would you give to to somebody who's out there
1: looking for deals? Maybe they run across a short sale. Sure. So, you know, short sales, I haven't really been focused on them for many years um, for a lot of different reasons. I had a loss mitigation company, I created a course on them back then. I mean, I really started to go deep into short sales, uh, and because that was, that was actually a big motivator. Whenever I could realize I could make that much money on a property with no equity, wow! How many more properties were out there yeah. that people owed, you know, way more on that they should have never borrowed on? I mean, there were some deals in California where it's worth, you know, supposedly worth a million dollars, and the lender ended up taking two hundred thousand dollars. So imagine that an eight hundred thousand yeah. dollar quote loss. So anyway. So with uh, short sales, I do believe that you're going to see more of them as well. I think you're going to see a lot of them with FHA buyers because they didn't have any money to put down. Mm -hmm. So they just got into the house any way they can. And I think that, you know, whenever you don't have any money to put into a property that you're buying, that could be a strategic way to do it. But majority is because you don't have the money. You probably shouldn't be buying that house, Mm -hmm. right? If you don't have money to put down on a house, you probably shouldn't be buying it. For the majority of the, of, of the, of the case, sometimes yeah. maybe it's just a strategy, but because of that, I think you're going to see when you get into too much of house and not enough money, you're going to end up losing that house and you're going to see more short sales. So with short sales now, and you want to put some emphasis on it, you can simply go to um, different resources like list source or listability, and you can pull lists, data list of pre foreclosures. And that's what really a short sale is. It's before it's went to an auction, right? You're yeah. still dealing with the owner of the property. And many people don't realize this, but when a bank forecloses on a property, the bank doesn't own the property. You do. You own that property all the way up to foreclosure. Whenever a property gets foreclosed on at the sheriff's sale, then a sheriff deed will be issued. And now, That's no longer your property. You lost the property to foreclosure or or the share sale, but you own it all the way up to that process. So, that little period right there is the time that you can do loan modifications and short sales. And basically, you can deal with the owner of the property directly and you can get a leather authorization uh, to be able to talk with the lender. They're going to give you a short sale packet. And all you need to do is start asking questions like how many mortgages are on the property. If you have more than one mortgage on a property, find out what's the equity split. What, what is the amount of money that, uh, that they owe the day seventy thirty 30 and 90, 10 and 80, 10, or what, what did they do, uh, on, on what their position is for that second mortgage or oh my gosh, a third mortgage. So if you could start focusing on those properties, you're going to find one eventually, that has a big chunk of, of equity that uh, they're in a potentially vulnerable position if the owner is missing uh, payments, okay? if, they're, if they're behind on payments. Yep. And I don't know if it's still the case, but when I was doing short sales very frequently, usually list pendants wouldn't be filed until after three or more payments have been missed.
0: Right, right.
1: And the bank would file a list pendants, which Uh, then at that point could put you on the clock for the potential now to get you on uh, the docket for uh, foreclosures. Now, a lot of states are a year or two years even behind or more because it's backed up, right? So um, there's a lot of potential that you you can find for strategies in dealing with these uh, foreclosure properties or pre-foreclosure properties really in the short sale stage. Um, and you should just be asking those questions: How many mortgages are on the property? Um, what do you think that you could actually sell that property for if you were to get X amount of discount from it? And uh, and you can pull a lot of these lists from list source listability. Go in there, look for certain criteria. You can find out when mortgages have been refinanced. You can see if they've done what kind of, you know, how much money essentially they've taken out on the property. You can look for certain lenders certain lenders are known to have a lot of short sales so you could you could study and research that There's a lot of things you could do
0: yeah absolutely well and it depends even what's your state you're in if it's a non-judicial or judicial foreclosure those judicial ones can get tied up like you said for years on end years those yeah you know, those lenders are going to be more motivated not to get tied up in you know, litigation for the next year to foreclose they'd much rather just let's go let's short sell this thing and get it off our books
1: we can go into this maybe another another I uh, <laughs> uh kip but i was actually, Uh, in a situation where we got a property that the statute of limitations, it was in Florida, I think it was over five or seven years, that we picked up a property uh, with our good friend, you and I know Jason uh, and a few other folks uh, that we ended up a homeowner association file had a a judgment, a lien against this property. However, the mortgage company had went out of business. Wow. And uh, we researched and found companies that went out of business, but there was still... Uh, the first mortgage went out of business, but the Homeowner Association had money that was owed. So, in that case, we went in and paid off. We essentially bought that mortgage or bought that lien from the Homeowner Association. And then we waited. We actually rented out the property. We got a lot of money that came in. And then, when we went to go uh, to get a quiet title, you yeah. have to have the mortgage company contest it. Well, they were out of business. They're gone. Yeah. So, they're done. And so, we ended up getting. A hundred, I want to say the property was over two hundred thousand dollars, and we ended up selling that property for well over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And we only had uh, less than twenty thousand dollars in it. On top of this, can't we got cash flow that we didn't have to pay a mortgage company because no one knew who owned it, and that company went out of business. So anyway, there's all kinds of fun things that is, that's and, nuts. and uh, creative, you gotta love creative real estate, man.
0: Oh my gosh. So jot that down as a side note, <laughs> look for uh, mortgage companies that's gone out of business and go find those old assets.
1: That's amazing, man, what a crazy strategy. And, and homeowner associations, they actually have, they're actually in front of the first mortgage. Again, this, is, this, this could go deep, man, but homeowner yeah. associations, when they file against the property, that's actually in front of, that takes seniority over a first mortgage. I wonder if that's true in every state. Maybe it's state to state. I don't know. Maybe it's state to state. Yeah. But in but, Florida, it was that case.
0: Yeah. Florida's a little bit backwards with their yeah. foreclosures. And whatnot. Corey, this was this was super interesting and may, maybe <laughs> the only really good short sale best deal I've got. I mean, I love it. I mean, and for those, those folks that are running against potential short sales or you're dealing with pre-foreclosures it's a great strategy man it's I know there's not as many of them right now but it still works and give it a couple of years folks I think we're gonna be right back in the middle of that again so I, I
1: believe you're, you're gonna see short sales 2.0 <laughs> that's
0: right Corey <laughs> man thanks so much for coming on the show this was fantastic I appreciate you Ken thank you man thanks bud hey friends let's talk for just a minute about the market we're in right now it's tough right deals are hard to come by The last thing you need is trouble funding a deal. Once you've done the hard work to source it, trust me, I get it. I've been at this for 16 years and financing deals is often a huge pain in the rear. So I decided to solve the problem. I launched red capital lending for real estate investors like me and probably like you. The days of paying 12% interest are over. And if it's taking more than a week for your lender to close, you're using the wrong lender. We've built Red Capital Lending for the sole purpose of providing the lowest cost of investment capital possible. I'm talking about interest rates in the sevens. With the highest level of customer service and with the fastest turnarounds, our goal is to provide funding within five days. If you've got a deal coming up and you're ready to save money and avoid the typical hassles associated with most lenders, take a minute and just submit your deal at redcapitallending.com we'd love to work with you and show you just how easy it can be to fund your next project. Again, redcapitallending.com. Okay. So let's get back to the show, except in this segment, we're going to talk about the deals that didn't go so well. Hope you enjoy. All right. So I am here with my good friend, Corey Boatwright, and we're going to talk about Corey's worst deal ever. (laughs) Corey, tell (laughs) me about it. What
1: happened? So it's interesting because uh, we were just talking about this on the worst deal. You always think about like the best deals, but um, this worst deal wasn't the the fact that I lost money. It was more or less the fact that um, I lost potential profit that was just right there at your fingertips. And it was like, you know, if you ever been in one of those machines where the money's just blowing, <laughs> right. right? And you're yeah, trying grab to it. grab and you're like, a hundred or 50 or what? And like, you just don't. And then another one blows up. Mm. So I, in this case, it was like, I grabbed all of it and I had it right. And then like this big, you know, big thing came and I, I let go of this to grab that. And then I just lost all of it. You lost all of so it. So what happened was this, is a house in Oklahoma city is a, is a South side house. Okay. And I know this might sound strange for some folks. They're like, what you just said was like a high dinner in LA. But I bought a house for $12,000 and wow. I said, I bought it. I put a contract on the property to buy it for $12,000. Okay. It was in an area called the South side of Oklahoma city. And in the South side of Oklahoma city, there was an area where um, a lot of folks pay cash for properties. Um, a lot of Hispanic uh, community there was awesome. And they buy a lot of times houses that uh, they don't like to have financing. So mm-hmm. they'll uh, come in and, and, and buy these properties cash. We've sold many properties under $50,000 to a big part of the Hispanic community, which is awesome for them yeah. um, because they don't get a chance. They don't have to finance it. And they have that kind of cash, tend, tend to have that cash yep. to be able to, uh, to do it. So we had this property we actually got from a guy that wasn't um, Hispanic and um, I think the the marketing came in from a postcard. I, it came in from a postcard. Uh-huh. And it was, I want to say it was because he was behind on taxes. I, I believe it was behind on taxes. So anyway, we have a property that was interesting property. Um, he was living in the property, an, an older gentleman, but he also had a renter living in this little, it almost was like a shed, not kidding, but, but it was still 500 square feet. But it was like a shed that was made into a, nether unit ken so they were renting that out for like 300 bucks a month um then he had a lot of dilapidated uh garage that looked like it was just like gonna fall down i remember like getting close to this thing and feeling like if the wind blew a certain way like i might get i might get injured right yeah so i I stayed away from that but i remember just seeing all this and um thank you. Wow. And there's a lot of junk and the and the grass was super high. And then yeah. I think there was like an old motorcycle, you know, like just laying down on the grass. <laughs> um and probably, you know, these archaic versions of, of lawnmowers like were just rusted and like they should have been something on a show. Um, certainly probably worth money in a pawn shop. That's but right. So like just a bunch of trash and debris in the yard, right? And and you just I mean painting a picture. And the roof had like three layers of shingles mm-hmm. on it. Um, and you know, not even the like the last layer was like a white. Like it was just like a yeah. white layer. <laughs> Nothing left. Um, and there was like a tarp on one side of the uh, of the of, of the house too. I remember that too. And I think that was because they tried to. they had a leak, and so they literally just put a tarp over the leak. And it was a porch, this actually was. It was a framed in porch. So they framed in the porch, but it started leaking. And then they put a tarp over that. And they had the washer and dryer out there in the porch area. Of course they did. So, of course they (laughs) did. Where else would you put that? Where where else, right? It makes perfect sense. So we have a contract to buy for $12,000. I knew immediately that uh, this was an area that I, I could sell this property for probably. 35,000. So I thought, wow, this is going to be a home run. I'm buying it for 12 and sell for 35,000. Ken, I got an offer uh, from a text on a guy that I knew that, that knew that area immediately. I told him I had the house. He knew exactly where it was. He went over there. He didn't even go in the house. He said, I'll buy it from you for 50,000 cash. Dang. All right. So now we're looking at a $38,000 potential profit, right? Yeah. I'm pretty excited about this, I'm like man, you got it like i'm not going to send this out you got it it's yours, right, so we signed in a contract. I told him I need twenty five hundred dollars to make sure he's serious. He need twenty five hundred dollars uh commitment, so we're we're in it we're in it to win it, right? No inspection by the way, just hey, from a text, yeah, I know it went over there, looked at it he didn't go inside. he just just like he, he didn't care because yeah. he he saw the little unit, he knew that was being rented he 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 knew the area so I thought man this was this is going to be a home run. All right. So, um this guy, the owner of the property, didn't let us know that like 2 weeks prior um the city visited him and told him that the property uh one was uh going to be sold on county taxes so it was over 3 years of taxes that would back and so that following June um it was actually going to be sold um, on taxes. So in, in Oklahoma, it's three years and that, that, you know, back taxes, and then you can actually go and, uh, you can try to redeem it, redeem it after that. I think there's like a year period of redemption, but uh, he was actually going to lose property. But then what they didn't say is that they were also issuing a, uh, demolish uh, a demo of the garage. Oh, the and also okay. had mowing liens that um oh. they tried they mowed over the years and he's never paid the liens oh, and no. so i mean literally these mowing liens were stacking up um so when we pulled when we did title we get a title and we send in on title um we didn't know that this had this de- demolition for the for the uh, um for the garage that, that little area I was telling you about that looks scary. Yeah. So, and when we, when we f- want to find out how much that they were going to charge against it, the, the city actually wouldn't let us know of what this uh, demolition was going to cost. Right. So I was like, well, how do I know? Like, is it going to be $10,000? Is it, is it going to be, because the city is going to charge a premium of what, whatever, whatever it's going to be to fix, to do something with the contractor? they're going to charge a premium. They don't, they don't go bid a bunch of projects like they're going to charge a high dollar amount. And you and can't, then the, you can't just demolish it yourself? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. He had an option to demolish it himself. Because he's an older elder older gentleman, he didn't do it. He ga- okay. they gave them plenty of times to demolish this himself. Plenty of okay. plenty of notice. Yeah. Um but he just he just basically uh di- he just disregarded it. Yeah. So, so now we got this uh these tight these clouds essentially they have to be cleaned up on, on title. On top of this, because the property um, was such in a dilapidated state um, that he was supposed to, uh, uh, supposed to, um, I guess, fix up the property uh, and there was, there was, open to the elements on one side of the house and stuff. They actually condemned, they actually condemned the little, uh, unit that was being rented out by a person for 300 bucks a month. Oh that no. the person that was renting it out for 300 bucks a month. It, it was, that person was a truck driver. And so they were only in the, um, unit for like, it was like, they're, they they were not they were only there like, um, like maybe 10, 10 days a month or something like that. So they're yeah. never there ever. Yeah. Um, and it was such a, it was like a small little thing. So there was like a notice, that was put on that, that we didn't know. Again, when you put a contract on, you kind of go away, you sell it. You're like, you're waiting on title. You don't go back over and visit the property. So once we found out uh, from uh, the buyer that actually drove by and said there's, there's notices on that, that other uh, unit, we found out that that was being condemned. The city was going to condemn this little area. Um, so we're like, Oh my God, what, what do we need to do to fix that? So that, that was another thing that was going to be, um, you know, just basically everything we heard was going to be taking off of our bottom line. Sure. So, uh, on top of this, on top of all of this, the owner of the property, as we get closer to going to closing, I'm just basically telling myself, well, I'm probably gonna have to eat 10 grand on this deal. Like I'm, I'm probably just gonna have to take it off my profit and just, just pay it. No, no, no. The the as we get closer to closing, the owner goes into the hospital. Oh no. Oh jeez. So the owner goes into the hospital. He is the single only person on deed. No, no one he he's the only guy that owns this property. He doesn't owe anything on it. I think it was some inherited to him. Um, but he goes into the hospital and he stays there for over a month. <laughs> oh jeez for over a month. Okay. In the meantime, I cannot do anything. I ask if I can, uh, can I pay for something? Can I go demo? I mean, I actually got to a place where it was like, I could go demo this myself and just see what the city says about it. But no, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. So I was just waiting in limbo, um, trying to, you know, trying to, trying to get this deal uh, done and, and hoping that the owner would come out in a week. You know, then it went to two weeks and three weeks. It was in there for over a month.
0: Okay. Oh, geez.
1: Um, the, the city came and demoed the garage. The garage, I remember it was like $7,500 to demo the garage. Okay. Right. Um, the property that they condemned, the little, the little uh, apartment unit that they condemned, um, they wouldn't Allow a, um, they wouldn't allow that property to be rented out unless it was brought up to code.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That didn't surprise me.
1: And <laughs> I'm telling you, if this thing was, there's nowhere near what this thing should have been on code. Yes. So um, that was going to be over $10,000. Yep. Just to bring it up to code. And they were also requiring a separate meter. For yep. the property as yep. well, um, so that was seventeen five. The mowing leans, right? Oh no. A couple hundred dollars or sure. whatever. The mowing leans were over two thousand dollars
0: for the your mowing, dang grass. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, because they mowed the property and it went down, and he never mulched it, so they just laid the grass on top of each other. And, and it just was stacked up. So when they come in mode again, it took longer, which is more expensive. So it was over $2,000. So we're over 20 grand right now on plus my 12th. So we're at $32,000. I'm like, geez, I mean, that's 8 I'm now, okay, so at least I have $18,000. That's still really, really good. You would yeah, think, right? right? Oh, no. Guess how much taxes, back oh, taxes no. were? Three years of taxes. How much? Three years of back taxes. Believe it or not. The property, even though I had a contract for $12,000, in the state of Oklahoma, the county assessor on this property had it at $80,000. Oh, no. $80,000. So what were the taxes on it? So the taxes every year, every year, the taxes on this property um, were around $2,500. Dang. Dang.
0: For a little dumper house in the south side of town, twenty five hundred. That's that's expensive, man.
1: Well, it was it was like, it was like one and a half percent, and then I had to also pay because the person came in and they redeemed the taxes.
0: Oh, so okay.
1: All of that back plus yes. the interest. That's what I got you. Gotcha. Have to yes, so I had to pay. So, long story. That was another seventy five hundred dollars,
0: dude. Yep.
1: Right, and so I'm like, I'm not even making. 10 grand on this property, right? Yep. So I get to this place. I'm like, so this thing is going to cost me uh, uh, $7,500 or whatever. On top of this, I I mean, I was going to make, okay, so I'm still going to make 10 grand. So I'm like, okay, there's a lot of money I just lost, but I'll I'll still make 10 grand, right? Yeah. No. The abstract. In state of Oklahoma, we are actually an abstract state. Okay. in the state of Oklahoma, meaning that we have to get the abstract, the original time that from the dawn of time that anything's been done on this property. And it's a book like this, Ken, it's like, and we're only a few States in, in, uh, in the country that have this and physical abstract. It's a book. It looks, it's a physical abstract. I mean, it's a big, big thing, right? For, for every closing, every, every, the history of the house the history of dawn of this. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, uh, the abstract was bad. They couldn't actually couldn't find the abstract. Okay. So we have to build a new abstract.
0: (laughs) How do you go back? If the records aren't there, I don't know how you go back and build an abstract. They
1: they go back and they have to build it. They do have records, but they have to go in the title and they have to build it. Usually the owner, I know this sounds crazy, but the owners actually bring their abstract to them at closing. No way. That's so interesting. It's it's, it's crazy, man. Or they have them stored at a title company. Yeah. In this case, it wasn't. So we had to build a new abstract, right? Um, And then lastly, on top of it, there was uh, one other thing. And it was, I think the guy had a judgment against him that was uh, against the property, yep. which should have been picked up on the title report. But when on the title uh, report, you don't get to see anything that is on the history of the house. You only get to see from the owner of the property on, on the title report. Yep. So on the history of the house, there was a, there was a cloud on title yep. um, that we had to clear up. So long story, uh, we couldn't close on this property we couldn't close on the property. And so I lost. And on top of this, it took, it was like, I want to say it was like nine, it was like a 90 day process of all this stuff going on. Right. Um, Uh. And so that, that was my worst deal. When I think about it, it was, it was headache. It was, you know, a lot of cash that was coming in, uh, but I just lost it at, at the end. It was just like money went through my hands. Like, what else is gonna happen?
0: Yeah, that's hilarious.
1: Um, Ninety and, days. And, I've been yeah, there. Yeah, and man. I, I actually, and I, yeah, and I actually found out the property did go, um, did go to sheriff sale, um, and uh, or it did go to a tax sale, and uh, the the guy actually bought it uh, from tax from the sheriff. From the oh, sheriff. the guy that you had the contract with. I had.
0: Okay, well, so there's sort of a happy ending. The guy who well, ultimately wanted to live in it is living in it. Unfortunately, Corey Boatwright did not get paid on this I deal. Did not,
1: I did not get paid a single penny and I had it under contract <laughs> for 12,000. And I had it sold for fifty for a guy that was gonna bring cash for 50K. Lesson
0: learned is never uh, count your chickens, man, right? Well, so you are at the closing table the with money.
1: Have you been visited by the county? Or, yeah,
0: that's the other lesson,
1: right? Or for any reason whatsoever in the last uh, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, uh, have you ever had any mow liens, anything against the property? If you see a dilapidated property, there's a pretty good chance that that person is not responsible. And call Um, call code enforcement. Call code enforcement. Figure out what's out there, man. Yeah. um, It's... (laughs) Yeah. Lesson learned. Um, ask, ask title if they have abstract. Of course you probably want to worry about that in your state, but just yeah, that's a lot of stuff.
0: Crazy, man. Well, that's a good, well, I'll tell you what though, if that, if that's your worst deal and it wasn't like you didn't lose real dollars, you lost them at, you dollars. know, hopeful dollars. That's not too
1: bad. I'll be honest, man. I, I'd still give you high fives if that's your worst deal. That, that was my worst deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, that's, because I didn't get the money, but yeah, you're right. I didn't. I ultimately left lost out on some marketing, so it wasn't wasn't all that bad. The deal that never happened. Corey, this it's
0: was exciting. good, man. I appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk to you soon.
1: We should call this the deal that got away. The deal that <laughs> got away.
0: I like it. I like it. That's good. Hey, Deal Farm listeners, if you haven't heard, I just recently released a book through Bigger Pockets Publishing called Profit Like the Pros. If you dig the Best Deal Ever podcasts, you will definitely want to get your hands on this book. I take 25 stories from some of the top investors in the country and distill them down into 25 separate chapters that will not only entertain you, but educate and inspire you in all different facets of real estate investing. From wholesaling and flipping to self-storage, multifamily and commercial, we get into the details of short sales, subject twos, and even land flipping. Whether you're a brand new investor or you have years of experience under your belt, I promise you this book will engage you. If you would, take a minute, go to Amazon and order this book, Profit Like the Pros. And if you like it, please leave us a review. Thanks so much, folks, and I will see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.